Hey guys, this is the Good Daughter Podcast. We're here to help women or people who feel constrained or conflicted by their cultural upbringing. I'm Misha Good, and I'm going to give you my advice on how you can overcome your cultural conditions to create a life on your own terms, because you're more than just a good daughter. Hello, everybody. On the podcast tonight, we have a very special guest, none other than my own husband, Mr. Mike Good. Good evening. (laughs) Thanks for joining us tonight, Mike. Thank you for having me. This is a big honor. So first of all, what do you think about the podcast? I love it. You know, I love it for a lot of reasons. I love it um, because I know that you're passionate about it, and I know this is something that been working really hard on, that it means a lot to you, and that I think it feels to me like, and you're the only one that can say this for certain, right? But it feels to me like you're growing and learning kind of as you go through the episodes, right? And as you're kind of recording these. So I, I love it from for all of those reasons. I personally just enjoy it because while I know, you know, the majority of the things that you've shared so far through what five episodes, I still feel like I'm learning something about my wife every time, you know, I I get to hear one of these episodes, which, you know, it's just really cool, right? It's obviously we come from, couldn't come from more different backgrounds. And so, you know, obviously my experience growing up was completely different from yours. And so as I listen to your podcast, I think one of the things that I find myself doing is kind of looking back on my own life and my experiences and trying to think like, okay, were there any times when I had friends from a different culture, a different background, you know, that were challenged or that were struggling with assimilating or balancing between keeping the customs of home and doing the things that they want to do in Southern California, right? So, so yeah, so long answer, but I love it. Yeah. It's interesting because if you had told me when I was like, you know, in high school or in my early twenties that you were the person I was going to marry and that my family would not only be accepting, but love you and embrace you the way that they have, I would have like said that you were crazy. There's no way. And I think it just goes to show like how far the evolution in my family has come. So on this episode, I'm going to be asking you a couple of questions just to give the different perspective of, like you said, you grew up in a completely different reality than I did. And just to see, you know, for someone like you, someone who is white, (laughs) a white male, kind of the epitome of what the world sees as privileged and, you know, what everyone kind of sees driving some of the issues you know, for immigrants is that they struggle because they want to be more like you, right? Or they feel like they should be more like you and less like who they are and where they came from. Um, So we're going to kind of chat about some of those things and get your perspective. So the first thing I want to ask you is what would you say the most surprising or shocking thing to you was in terms of the differences between my family and my culture and your family and your culture? Good question. I I would say that, I don't know if it's like a difference, but I think one of the, the first things that I was surprised by, right, was how incredible, 
incredibly nice everyone was, how incredibly engaging and welcoming everyone was, given the fact that, you know, obviously I come from a different background, right? You know, I, I, I wasn't the traditional choice or the traditional path for you, right? And yet I've never one time in my experiences with your family, I've never one time has that ever been an issue like in any way, shape or form. Right. And so I guess maybe that's one difference as well. Right. Is that like, I would expect from my family, no knock on my family, but I would expect from my family to there be, you know, somebody who says something or does something, you know, that, that would potentially like raise an eyebrow. Right. And maybe not from a malicious place, but more just from a curious place or just in maybe an ignorant place. Right. But from your family, it's just been nothing but love and warmth and engagement. And yeah, your cousins are special people, right? Like I, obviously, you know, that I have a very close relationship with, with all of them. And so, yeah, I mean, I, and, and I think that was also not surprising for me, right? Because obviously, you know, I I have for my entire life had friends of every race and ethnicity and background and religion, but for them to to just like welcome me, open arms, and for us to have so much in common, right? And you know, no matter how long we've been away from each other, right? The second that your family comes back, it feels like we've been hanging out all day, every day for a long period of time. Right. So yeah. I, I just, were you surprised at how nice everyone was because, because you were different and you're not the obvious choice or because there's this like sense that a lot of times like immigrant communities kind of like keep to themselves and don't really socialize outside of their own kind of, you know, little circle. Right. No, I think the, the, the first, right. I think that because I wasn't the prototypical choice, right, for you as as a spouse. And because, yeah, I mean, so maybe a little bit of both, right? But more the, the first. Part of that surprise comes from what you just said, right? Which is my perception, right, of other cultures that relocate to a different place. In this the instance, West. Southern California and the West you know, typically through a combination of whether it's them staying in a close knit community with, you know, the other people that have, you know, moved to the, to, to wherever we're at in this instance, the West or a lack of understanding on my behalf, right? Like the combination of those two things I think contributes to me being surprised at how opening and welcoming everyone was to me, given the fact that I was not in any way, shape, or form, right? The the typical choice or the logical choice what, is your, your main. What would you say the most challenging part of my culture is for you? <laughs> You're going to probably <laughs> laugh at this, but uh, it is how late everything starts <laughs> and how late everyone is, right? Are you talking about Daisy standard timing? Yes, I am talking about this standard timing. Yeah. I mean, so part of that, right, comes from, 
you know, one month out of every year, right, is Ramadan. And so Iftar doesn't come until sundown. And we obviously have young children, right? So by the time sundown rolls around, this guy is, you know, kind of going down with the sun as well. So, yeah. And obviously before we had children, not as much of a problem and we were able to be more involved, right? But now it's like a little more challenging with with having young kids yeah. and trying to keep a schedule. So I would say that that is probably... The most challenging, which I think is telling, right? Because if that's the most challenging thing I've had to work with or deal with, then I've got a pretty darn good thing going with your family. That's so funny. Just for context for everyone, what he's talking about is that in my family and probably all like they see families, like the parties don't start till nine o'clock and dinner is not served till 10 o'clock. And oh, by the way, Whoa. if the party starts at eight, everyone's there by like 945 and the kids are just up struggling, being dragged along for the ride. And that's really hard for us because we're usually not late to everything uh, because Mike is a very prompt person. <laughs> he shows up on time. But the rest of my family does not. So it is funny. Just to clarify, right? If the party starts at 8, they're showing up at 1030, not <laughs> yeah. 945. Okay. And we don't start eating until 1130 or midnight. Okay. So just and, to be fair. To- and it also takes like two hours to say goodbye and that you're leaving. So that adds to <laughs> the complication. My fault. That probably falls more on me. So, okay. So you mentioned that you have and growing up you had friends of like every ethnicity religion background what cultures were you exposed to given that where you grew up in southern california you know a beach community it's predominantly white upper class so what were you exposed to and what was it like you know do you think that the people you knew were struggling with some of the issues that i've raised in my podcast so let me answer your first question in terms of the ethnicities or the um, cultures that I was exposed to. Um, I had Indian friends, I had African-American friends, I had Asian friends. So kind of, you know, pretty healthy mix across the board. And I got to be honest, like I was not at all focused on any of those things, right? Like it wasn't my Pakistani friend, it was Neil, right? And it wasn't my Asian friend, it was Patrick. And so I never, ever thought about any of those things, right? I never thought like, oh, well, maybe Patrick is struggling because his mom and dad have a certain set of standards for him educationally that are different from the majority of his friends that he's hanging out with on a regular basis. Like that never crossed my mind, right? I only thought about these things as I got older and as I got truthfully faced with like the, the concept of race and, you know, really with the concept of race, right? Like I very, very fortunate in that just was not an issue for me and my situation until I got into college. Right. So through high school, I mean, it just didn't matter what anybody's skin color was or ethnicity or background. Like if we were hanging out, we were hanging out. And if you were a good person and you were fun and and likable, right, then that's what you got. Right. That was really kind of 
obviously started by my parents, right? And kind of how they raised me. But I think it was also a huge byproduct of the community that I grew up in and the fact that it was, yes, on paper and at a high level, it looks like it's overwhelmingly white. But the truth of the matter is, is this area is more of a melting pot than most people realize because there's a military base right down the street, right? That brings in a lot of different people from across the country, across the world. And then they have their children here and they go to school. And so, yeah, I think I was very fortunate that I didn't have to really think about it and that, you know, I wasn't faced with that until my freshman year of college. Do you think you were faced with that when you left because you left California and California is just more accepting or more diverse than other states? Yeah. I So I left California and I went to <laughs> Hillbilly, Arizona, right? And so, yeah, uh, night and day, night and day. No doubt that was a huge contributing factor to why that was the first time that I experienced anything like that. But then also... Yeah, the fact that I'm playing on a football team that is pulling people from all parts of the country, right? Yeah, I just, I had never dealt with intolerant white people before. What was your first experience with that? Oh, man. So my first, (laughs) my first experience with that, this is really sad, was after our first home football game at Northern Arizona University. Um Luckily enough, we we won the game and I went to a party that was just filled with all of my teammates, right? And I had been there for about five minutes and all of a sudden there's a scuffle over off to the side and it is two of my teammates, a white teammate and a black teammate that were, I, I mean, I still to this day couldn't tell you exactly what they were fighting for, but the next thing I knew, a gun was being pulled and that was like... That this shows you how naive I was, right? That was so eye opening to me, not because it was a white person and an African American person, but because it was two teammates. How could two teammates ever fight to this extent or, you know, say the things that were being said, right? And then over the course of the next really week, as kind of the details of what happened unfolded and the punishments were handed out. And then the animosity that comes from the punishments being handed out started rolling out. That is when I really started getting faced with the fact that I was on a football team and in a place and in a town and at a school that was way far from home in physical geographical sense, but more in terms of just culture and experience and the different types of people that were there. And I really struggled with that. I really, really did. Maybe didn't notice it in there, think think about it in the moment, but I really, really struggled with that looking back on it. You know, (laughs) again, primarily because we're supposed to be a team working towards one common goal, and yet we're letting stupid stuff like this get in the way of you know, trying to accomplish that goal. And then you realize that the people that are on your team are just bad people, right? Or that have been given really bad guidance and have very different values from you. And then it's, you know, really takes a lot of the luster and shine off of the team sport, the experience, the 
all of it, right? And the experience is probably the best way of saying it. Yeah. I think like for in college sports, because people do come from all over the country, there's a lot of culture shock, especially if you're from, you know, like the West Coast from California um, and like, you know, kind of coastal cities because it's just it's a different world over here. It's a different mindset. It's a very like kind of ignorant to a lot of the things that go on, you know, across the country in the Midwest and in the South and the history there, right? In those places, because we don't have that same history here. Um, And so it is culture shock. Like you don't realize the attitudes and the, um, just the overall dynamics there. And I think in my opinion, a lot of these issues with the way we treat immigrants or, you know, people that are different, it happens outside of these major cities, you know, like outside of LA, outside of Orange County, outside of places, you know, that we're familiar with. I think it's the exception rather than the rule when it happens in like a major metropolitan area. I know that's like super, super, you know, throwing a huge blanket over a big sticky topic, but yeah, I mean, I, the more rural it gets, it feels like the more prevalent some of these divides are between different backgrounds and ethnicities and culture. Yeah, I think it's just a smaller world for them. Mm-hmm. It's a smaller existence. And here it's everything's bigger and more people. And, you know, there's like different types of food restaurants everywhere. Like every street you turned on, it's not like that over there, you know? Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. You're just constantly exposed to different cultures, different foods, different people here. You hear like 10 different languages walking through our target. And I don't think that's, that's just not the existence in, in rural or Southern America, you know? So switching gears, being that you're the father of biracial daughters, mm-hmm. you're a full-fledged girl dad, what's the most important thing for you as a father when it comes to your daughters? So, I mean, obviously beyond protecting them and keeping them safe, right? Like the most important thing, and you and I have talked about this obviously a lot, but I, <sighs> The most important thing is preparing them to be a positively contributing member to society that is understanding, that is compassionate, and that is tolerant, right? And with as divisive as our world has become, right? I don't know, shouldn't say I don't know. I believe that our girls have a distinct advantage over a lot of their peers because of the fact that they are biracial and because they are getting so much diverse culture all the time, right? From the two sides of their family. As they grow up and they mature, unfortunately, I don't think that the world is going to become any less, you know, nasty than it is right now. And I think it's just going to place a bigger premium on knowledge, acceptance, compassion, understanding, just really being well-rounded, right? And having a very good, broad knowledge of a lot of cultures and customs and religions, right? All for the express purpose of being good girls, right? Yeah. Happy, good, positively contributing girls. So yeah, so I think that is what's most important. And I 
absolutely love the fact that they are, you know, biracial, that they have two very distinctly different sides to their family, that both of those sides to their family are accepting and tolerant and wonderful, but at the same time have those customs that they're holding on to that our girls can learn from, right? You know, and listening to some of your previous episodes, it's a very, it feels to me like it's a constant challenge or goal to find this happy balance between assimilation and holding on to your customs that, you know, have come from generations before you, right? And so that's why I think it's so important and why I'm so, I love the fact that, you know, my parents and your parents and our families, you know, really do hold on to those customs and and keep them alive so that our girls can learn from them and see the differences and, you know, ultimately one day create their own families and choose what customs they're going to take, you know, forward. I I wonder sometimes like what customs they will hold on to, (laughs) you know, like, because it, you know, they're, they're born and raised here completely. So their experience is different than mine was. Right. And then also now, yeah, like you add to it, your family is like our two families, totally different customs, totally different cultures. So like, I am so interested to see what they pick and choose to continue And then also because they're different, right? Like one of them is maybe going to hang on to certain things that the other one might not. Like, they, I don't know. We'll just have to see where they go from here or as they get older. I just don't want to force anything on them. I don't want to make it my choice. I want everything that they decide to do to be their choice. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I agree. So what are the biggest issues that you see are the biggest challenges facing immigrants and the children of immigrants, you know, in the Western world or specifically here in the United States from your perspective, because your perspective is going to be really interesting to hear since you are not the child of first generation, you know? Right. So, and, and that's an important caveat, right? Because I am, I guess you could say a complete outsider, right? Like, looking in on this topic and trying to to give my two cents. But I mean, because you don't even know when your family came here. <laughs> we have no yeah. idea. They've just been here right. for a really long time. They have, exactly. So I would think, and now that I've been paying closer attention to this, right, it feels to me like, and, and I have to imagine this is harder here in Southern California or in New York City or Miami or Chicago, right? A major metropolitan city, but it's got to be very, very challenging for children of immigrant families to want to and actually hold on to some of their original customs. And the reason why I say that is because typically Western culture, Western customs are pretty laxed, right? They're not very rigid or very strict or structured there's a lot of hey if it feels good do it right yeah Um, (laughs) that's so true (laughs) you know and that is easy 
and that is attractive to younger kids, right? Like, you know, when you're preteen and teen, it's all about finding yourself and your identity and who you are and kind of your independence and making your own decisions and doing that more and more and more, right? And, you know, do you want to go to 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 church every Sunday and, you know, Bible school and all of this? Or do you want to go to the skate park or the baseball field or hang out at home and play video games or go to Disneyland, right? I mean, there's just a lot of distraction, a lot of, it's like the epitome of Western culture here in Southern California in terms of having all of these, you know, stimulants, right? And so I, I have to believe that that becomes exponentially harder than someone who relocates to Iowa, right? And is holding on to these customs that doesn't have all of these outside influences and immediate, you know, distractions and influences. So that, that to me, I think would be, and appears to be the hardest, you know, thing to do is to hold on to and have a desire to hold on to some of the customs at home that interfere specifically with what they see in the Western culture that they want to kind of assimilate to or uh, adopt or, you know, kind of take on. Do you think immigrants are made to feel welcome here (sighs) by the vast majority of the population? No, I mean, no, but, you know, I'm, (laughs) I have a hard time saying that because I think I'm a very welcoming, accepting person, right? And, you know, obviously that question is said another way is, do you think white people are accommodating and welcoming of immigrants? And while I'm, you know, mature enough to say the overwhelming obvious answer is no, there are a lot of good people out there that are trying to do good things, right? And so, yeah, I mean, the hard, fast answer to your question is no, right? Um, The eternal optimist in me likes to focus on some of the good humanitarian-centered people out there that, you know, are doing good things, right? Yeah, I actually disagree. I think that the overwhelming population here like the overwhelming portion of the population here is welcoming. I just think that the people who aren't are a lot louder. So we hear what they say more yeah. because they're so loud and they're so, you know, uh, what's the word? They're just so out there. You know, they, they have to drive around and make their opinions known. Like they just can't keep anything to themselves. So I would actually say that I think most people are open and welcoming given the history of this country is a country of immigrants. But I just think that you just hear about the bad stuff or the bad opinions, the negative opinions, the negative treatment more. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think people like you can do to be a change agent and make you know, the experience of immigrants, the children of immigrants easier and help with them feeling accepted into this new world. I mean, it's going to sound cheesy, right? But like um, treat others the way that you would want to be treated, right? You live by that golden rule and, and you do so in an unbiased manner, right? Meaning regardless of the color of one's skin or hair, eyes or teeth or whatever, religion, race, background, you treat everyone the same, you know? Um, I, I, 
in, I'm in sales, right? And the one How thing are that you? I, yeah, I know. The one thing that I absolutely love about sales is the fact that it's not about you know, necessarily how well you craft an email or how many, you know, TPS reports that you file on a weekly basis, right? It's, it's pretty black and white in terms of performance, right? And then people are compensated based on their performance, right? Kind of a meritocracy. And I think that that is kind of how I've just gravitated myself in life, right? Is like, I, I don't see anybody and judge anybody by the color of their skin or by anything other than the interactions that you and I have. And then ultimately those interactions are a amplifier of the content of one's character, right? And so that to me is, is how you become a change agent. And again, I'm sorry that it's a little, you know, cheesy and, and uh, well, maybe a little biblical, right? In terms of treating others the way that you want to be treated. But I really do think that at its simplest form, that is the answer to, to most of these challenges, right? Is be compassionate. You've got bad days. Everyone else, else has bad days. Be understanding of that. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you some serious questions, like really serious. Okay. Ronaldo or Messi? Messi. I don't believe you. I feel like you've never been a real messy fan. I can't stand Ronaldo and you know that. So now if you were to say Messi or De Bruyne, then I would have a pregnant pause. How can you even, it's not even a conversation. Why did Ronaldo go to Saudi Arabia? The truth. Why did Ronaldo go to Saudi Arabia? Because he says it's a great league and this and that, but we all know that's not true. Yeah, no, because nobody else would take him. Why wouldn't anyone take him? Because he's an a-hole. He has a bad attitude. Yeah. Should Messi go back to Barcelona? You. The PSG fans are booing him right now. Yeah, well, it's PSG. It's Paris. What do you expect, right? Like, yeah, sorry to the Parisians out there, but (laughs) you guys are exactly the most loyal soccer fans in the world, right? Yeah, he should go back to Barcelona. I mean, given what's available right now, he should go back to Barcelona. What I would like to see personally is go play with city for a couple of years, get into that program, then go from there to New York city FC. And then you are in New York city and you launch your post-playing career that way. But I just want to see that because I want him to win a premier league trophy and shut everybody up about that whole part about you. Well, you never, that he played never in played in the premier league. Yeah. I think he didn't want to. If he wanted to, he could have. He could have went. He could have wrote his check anywhere. I, don't, I mean, he's messy. Like, is that nobody even- in the Premier League was going to ever write the check for him because Barcelona had a grip on him that was something fierce. Why do you like Tiger Woods so much? I don't like Tiger Woods the person. I love watching Tiger Woods play golf because he plays golf unlike anyone else who has ever played the game so far. But he just is such a sucky person. Mm-hmm. You don't like Ronaldo because yeah. Ronaldo's a sucky person, but Ronaldo plays soccer like no one I like one else. watching Ronaldo highlights. I don't like watching Ronaldo play. It's painful to watch Ronaldo play because he's so selfish. Tiger Woods is in an individual sport. He is every bit as selfish as Ronaldo. Every bit. But 
individual sport versus team sport. Who's going to win the next World Cup? Mm. Oh, you're not going to like my answer. I think France. It's either England or France. I think France. Watch out for my boy Phil Foden getting crazy in a couple of years. At like, oh, maybe England and France so in the final. How far do you think USA will get? Depends on the manager that they put in place. If it's Thierry Henry, if it's also Jesse Marsh, or if it's another European manager, then they have the ability to go to the final eight. They don't have the ability to go any further than that, though. Do you think Gio Reyna will rehab his image? Um, it's hard to say. I think he already has. I yeah, think he's I mean, on his way there. So it's truthfully, like, in fairness to him, it's his parents. His Im- it's his parents' image that needs to be rehabbed, but that can never be rehabbed because they've both historically been just narcissistic jerks, right? Um, but he he's a he's a kind of a hard guy to like. Like he's only nineteen or twenty. He's I understand, a baby. but he's you know born with a silver spoon in the mouth. Look who's talking. I was not born with two parents that played on the U.S. national team and that were in the you know program and all. And no, 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 not at all. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. He's you know he like you said he's young. He needs to become more charismatic if he's going to become more likable. Fair. That's fair. Did Carol Baskin kill her husband? Yeah. Do you remember did. her? Well, I mean, Carol I think that Baskin was, yeah, from the Tiger King, her. Right? <laughs> Yeah. Was it killed her husband, stabbed him, fed him to the tigers? That, that was it. That was the song. I don't remember it. You think she killed him? I really think that as human beings, we're going to look back on that period and that space and be like, you know what? We showed the ugly side to ourselves. And that was one of the highlighting moments of showing the ugly side to humanity was the popularity of that show. First of all, with that being said, it was hard to turn off. That Carol Baskin song was so catchy. And I'm pretty sure the Tiger King came out like during COVID and we had nothing else to do. So what else were we supposed to do? It was right at the beginning of COVID. So I will give everyone a pass that we were all very much rookies of a pandemic at that point. Okay. So there's a trend on social media where Europeans are just bashing Americans and they're like literally walking up to each other in the streets and doing interviews and being like, what's the thing you hate most about Americans? Why do you think they hate us so much? <laughs> because they're not us and because they don't have this. What is this? This is this country, right? This country, this freedom. I mean, they're they have freedom too. They have free healthcare. They have sometimes more than we have. It's just a different feel when you're walking around European streets than because you're American and you know they don't like you. I mean, I really don't care. I just. Just for everyone's information, when Mike and I were in Paris, he was so fed up with the French people that intentionally to piss off our taxi driver, he asked our driver to take us to Notre Dame and not Notre Dame. He literally said, can you take us to Notre Dame? And the look the driver gave him, if looks could kill, it was not your finest moment. But also, I thought it was pretty good. when I went to South Africa with my parents, when we were at customs, my mom did the most iconic 
like American thing ever because she forgot my sister's vaccination records and my sister was a minor. And the customs agent was like, did you not read the requirements? And my mom said, well, we're American. I didn't think this would be a problem. I literally wanted to run out of there and never show my face again. I was so embarrassed. I could not believe she did that. (laughs) That was just like the most stereotypical, like (laughs) American, like just entitled behavior. Uh, Oh my God. I was mortified. I could see that being a problem. Okay. Last question. Why do you think Gen Z hate millennials so much? Like, why do Senna and all her friends have such a problem with me and my friends? It's a great question. I, I mean, well, they're woke, right? I mean, <laughs> if you're woke, then you just know better than everyone else. If you know better than everyone else, then you have a certain disdain for everyone else, right? So your generation just, just stays out of it, right? Yeah. For the most part, I think my generation is probably still with their head in the clouds a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly does feel like the Gen Zs of the world have all of the answers before living any life. That's true. But then I also feel like the boomers have too many answers given all the mistakes they made. And so, and then also I feel like millennials, we have our own problems. We don't want to do things the way that other generations did, but then we haven't figured out how we want to do things either. <laughs> so, Or a lot of your generation, like, hey, we might have it figured out, but I don't necessarily want to put all that work in and effort in. So yeah. somebody else do it. I give you the blueprint. You go do it. Okay. One more question. What's yeah. the key to a happy marriage? Choose your words wisely. Yeah. I think you want me to say happy wife, happy life. Is what I think you probably want to hear. But, you know, communication is obviously very important. A relentless respect for your spouse. And then you got to have fun. You got to laugh, right? You got to enjoy life. I think those are all very, very important. Perspective, right, is so critical in all parts of life. But when it comes to marriage... You know, it's kids are screaming and crying and works, you know, difficult. And, you know, that's the case for both of us at the same time. And you just need to stop and realize, wait, hold on. That's the case for her too, as it is for me. Let's take a deep breath and, you know, get recentered and relax a little bit. So, yeah. And then uh, the last thing I'll say is you got to keep dating your spouse, right? You got to keep. Oh, that's a good one. You got to keep trying. You got to keep piquing her interest and trying to chase her or him a little bit, right? Um, And I feel like you have to like the same food because if you don't like the same food, that's a big problem. How are you ever going to get married if you don't like, like, how are you even going to make it to that point if you don't like the same food? I don't know. Like one person can't be a vegan and the other one can't like love steak. Like that just will never work. No. Well, I mean that, but that's my point is like, you would never get to the altar because you would never make it through the dating process. Because if I took you to Morton's and you're a vegan, right? Granted, I'm sure Morton's probably got the vegan thing figured out, but you're going to be like, yeah, you know what? were you really thinking about me or were you thinking about yourself there? And then next thing you know, we're broken up. So 
But that didn't happen here, did it? Or, but what if you're married and then you decide to become a vegan? Then... Then you have problems. Yeah. And I mean, whose fault is that? Like, if that marriage... The husband's probably. That's always... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just if kidding. the husband's the one that decides to become vegan, right? No, if the wife decides to become vegan, the husband needs to also then decide uh, to become vegan. Mm-hmm. That's just how that situation works. Please do me a favor and don't become vegan because we're going to have problems if you become vegan. <laughs> Empty threats. Anyways, guys, that's all from us. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Good Daughter Podcast with me, Misha Good. If you've enjoyed today's episode and it has helped you think about how to deal with your cultural conditioning and family expectations, please subscribe to the show and I'd love to hear from you. So send me a DM on Instagram at the Good Daughter Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.